minutes after 6 a.m. Good morning, everybody. My name is Nachum Siegel. Welcome to a Friday, Erev Shabbos. This is your Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program.
על ידי דוד, משיח צדקך. Amen. 
Thank you. Minucha v'simchar la Yehudim Yom Shabbason Yom Achmadim Shom Rav v'zachrav hema me'idim Ki v'shisha kovruim v'omdim Shimei shamayim Eretz v'yamim
J.M. in the A.M. Micha Gammerman, uh, Maididos, although 
I'm not sure why they call it that unless it's mislabeled in our playlist. Uh, sounds more like a Bowie Kala to me. Uh, Shalom Aleichem before that. Mordechai Shapiro's Chizku, Overture done by Simcha Liner with the Live in Odessa album. Menucha Simcha from Aryeh Kunstler from the NCSY Bencher app. Mim Komcha and Va'al HaKol, both from Simcha Liner. Mim Komcha's from Leva Nefesh, Yehuda Green, and Sandy Shmueli. And of course, Regesh, Modani opening things up. And we say good morning. It's Friday on this August 20th of 2021, day 12 of the month of Elul, the year 5781. Tufshin Pei Aleph. It's Shabbos Parshas Kiteitze, candle lighting in New York at 726. Make sure you know when things start where you are. 726, candle lighting time here again. Make sure you know when things kick off in your neighborhood. Uh, 76 degrees with 76% humidity. How often does that happen? Temperature and humidity are the same. Boy, we're filled with trivial information this morning. Winds west at 5 miles per hour. Afternoon showers with a high of 84. Overcast, maybe a shower tonight, low 74. Tomorrow, mostly cloudy, a high Shabbos, 85 degrees. 89 right now in Yerushalayim. We're at 76 here in New York City as we say good morning. At JM in the AM. Full day today, as you would expect. Harry Rothenberg and Rabbi Yudin on Kitetze. You have uh, Malcolm Honline joining us at 7.40 a.m. Eastern Time this morning here at JM in the AM with the weekly update. We'll do that at 7.40 a.m. Eastern Time. Make sure to be tuned in. We'll be here until 9 o'clock. Mark Zamek of the Arab Shabbos Show at 10 a.m. He's got an unbelievable collection of music on today's Arab Shabbos Show. Brought to you by the wonderful people at Kedem. Arab Shabbos Music Mix. Brought to you by the wonderful people at Kedem. Final hour at about 6.20 this evening, Eastern Time, brought to you by the wonderful people at Kedem. And um, and then we get set for great weekend programming, including Saturday Night Seagull with Avrami tomorrow night with Rabbi Eliezer Zwickler, including Mott this Sunday morning with another edition of JM Sunday Live. Live JM Sunday. Thank you, Mattis. That happens between 7 and 9 a.m. Eastern Time on Sunday morning here at the Nahum Siegel Network. And then Monday, we're back with JM in the AM. So that's how it rolls. That's how it goes. And I thank you all for tuning in on a Friday morning broadcast here at JM in the AM. Much appreciated. Um, our Elul Chesed campaign continues, although we are uh, encouraging people to do things before Rosh Hashanah and Sukkot. There's no reason not to remind people about taking care of a nice gesture for somebody, even on a regular era of Shabbos, which a lot of people do, by the way. A lot of people um, either help uh, others financially or do something to help other families on a typical era of Shabbos, and that needs to be acknowledged as well. A lot of good things happening in the in the Jewish community. A lot of difficult things, but a lot of good things. This story from uh, from Denver continues to um, connect all of us who are horrified that Shmuel Silverberg, an 18-year-old, was killed in Denver by a group of criminals who actually followed him into the yeshiva. Originally, we were told it was a drive-by shooting. This this young gang of criminals they couldn't care less who it was and how much they how much pain and uh, 
and death they would inflict on somebody, they couldn't care less. It is, for, for so many of us, it's unfathomable that, that people raise children who become this. Unfathomable. And of course, the collective Jewish heart around the world is uh, in pain because of the nature of the episode, which scares all of us, and because a family has lost their son uh, under these circumstances. And of course, rightfully so, many people are pointing out how almost nothing is being said by the general media about this. A gang walks into a yeshiva and murders a student, and you don't hear a word. It's pretty crazy. Uh, anyway, there's a lot of news to discuss. So at 7.40 a.m. Eastern Time this morning, we will discuss it with Malcolm Honline during the weekly update that will be coming up here at JM in the AM. It is America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program. Heard on listeners-sponsored digital radio, around the world, the web, and AlchemSegal.com, and the AlchemSegal Network, and, of course, on the beloved NSNF. I want to wish a happy birthday to anybody and everybody who's celebrating a birthday today, August the 20th. I want to wish a happy birthday to anyone out there. And everyone out there who's celebrating a birthday today on August the 20th, in particular, I want to single out the world's number one mother-in-law as determined by the firm of Markowitz and Siegel. And that would be Mrs. Gail Weintraub. Mrs. Gail Weintraub, my wonderful mother-in-law, is celebrating a birthday today. Don't worry. I'm not going to announce the number. I want to do that to her. I don't think I'd do that to anybody. Uh, but, but we wish her a wonderful and incredible birthday, and she should continue to enjoy her children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, everybody on this birthday. Galei Tzal, Israel Army Radio, 2 p.m. newscast next on a Friday morning. Galei Tzal, Matan Levi, Parashat Moto Shel Ktsina Modin דגימות הדם של הקצין שנשלחו למעבדה בארצות הברית לא הניבו תוצאות חד משמעיות באשר לנסיבות המוות, ובשלב זה לא ניתן לקבוע מה הביא למותו. מהתוצאות עולה כי ריכוז אחת התרופות אינו חריג, ובנוסף בדיקה של ריכוז תרופה נוספת בדם לא צלחה. משפחתו של הקצין שהותקנה הבוקר בממצאי הבדיקה מסרה בתגובה, מהרגע הראשון טענו שבננו לא התאבד, אלא נסיבות אחרות הובילו למותו. אנחנו דורשים מיצוי מהיר של החקירה וקבלת התוצאות הסופיות של בדיקות הדם, כך משפחת הקצין. ידיעה שמסר כתבנו לענייני צבא וביטחון, דורון קדוש. מועילות החיסון, מספר חולי הקורונה במצב קשה למאה אלף נפש בקרב בני השישים ומעלה שאינם מחוסנים, גבוה פי שמונה בהשוואה לאלו שחוסנו. מדווח כתבנו לענייני בריאות, שי פרידמן. שיעור החולים המאושפזים במצב קשה שאינם מחוסנים היה כ-180 ביחס ל-100 אלף לא מחוסנים. זאת כאשר בקרב קבוצת המחוסנים השיעור עמד על 20 בלבד המאושפזים במצב קשה. כלומר, הסיכוי של חולה קורונה מעל גיל 60 שאיננו מחוסן להגיע למצב קשה גבוה פי שמונה מאשר מי שהתחסן. פחות משבועיים לפתיחת שנת הלימודים, יותר ממיליון וחצי בדיקות קורונה מהירות לתלמידים נחתו לפני זמן קצר בנמל התעופה בן גוריון. עד סוף החודש יופצו הבדיקות לכל בתי הספר, משם יאספו אותם ההורים ויבדקו את התלמידים לפני תחילת השנה, במטרה שכמה שפחות מאומתים ייכנסו בשערי מערכת החינוך ב-1 בספטמבר. 
כתבתנו לענייני חינוך איילת ברון מציינת כי ביום ראשון התכנס קבינט הקורונה לדיון מסכם בעניין מערכת החינוך, בו ייבחן מתווה פתיחת שנת הלימודים ונושא חיסון התלמידים בבתי הספר. בדיון השתתפו נציגי ארגוני המורים וההורים. מלך מרוקו שלח איגרת ברכה לנשיא המדינה הרצוג בעקבות חידוש הקשרים הדיפלומטיים עם ישראל. מדווחת כתבתנו המדינית מוריה אסרף וולברג. מלך מרוקו מוחמד השישי שלח איגרת ברכה לנשיא המדינה יצחק הרצוג והביע תקווה כי חידוש הקשרים הדיפלומטיים בין מרוקו לבין ישראל יעודדו שלום אזורי רחב לכל עמי האזור. כזכור, בשבוע שעבר נחנכה הנציגות הישראלית ברבת על ידי שר החוץ לפיד. השר לפיד ועמיתו המרוקני סיכמו על פתיחת שגרירויות כבר בקרוב. מזג האוויר תחול עלייה בטמפרטורות, ולידיעת ציבור המטיילים, 16,000 מבקרים פקדו היום את חופי הכינרת השונים. כתבנו בצפון הדר גיציס מעדכן כי צפוי עומס רב באזור במהלך סוף השבוע. אלה החדשות שערך מאיר מרציאנו.
J.M. in the A.M. Rami Kleinstein with uh, Matanot Ktanot. Uh, before that, we had uh, Shalshalis Jr. and Vishamru here at J.M. in the A.M. This portion of NSN programming brought to you by our friends at A&H. You can go into Trader Joe's and get delicious A&H hot dogs. That's always like that during the summer season. It's all about Labor Day time. 
But you can also go into a uh, into any of the kosher supermarkets in the areas that I'm speaking to right now, at least here in the United States. Every major Jewish community has at least one of those major kosher supermarkets at this point. Every one of them has an amazing A&H, Abels and Hyman display. So go ahead, enjoy. Time to start thinking about what you're going to be serving for Rosh Hashanah and for Sukkot. A&H has some amazing choices. Go to kosherdogs.net, enjoy a 10% discount with promo code RADIO and Seth Levitt and his family and the entire A&H family wishes everyone a happy, healthy, and sweet new year. And we thank them for their constant support and their enthusiasm about what we do in um, bringing this program and so much amazing programming to everybody around the world on a daily basis. And I thank Seth for that and everybody at A&H. Friday morning, JM in the AM with candle lighting at 726. Oh, speaking of major stores, I'll be at Aaron's Casino Farms later today. Yeah, I'll be there. No joke. I'll be there. I ain't playing games. I ain't playing around. A lot of people have returned. A lot of people in the family are back from Israel. A lot of people in the family are back from camp. They want good, delicious kosher food. We're heading to Aaron's Casino Farms. Get some mechis, get some great fruits and vegetables, get some wonderful meat that we'll be, uh, that we'll be uh, cooking up for uh, Shabbat. Because uh, you know that Aaron's Casino Farms has everything from cowboy steaks to minute steaks and everything from uh, turkey wings to chicken legs. They got it all. It's all there. And um, we'll be enjoying their delicious and incredible products all through Shabbos and beyond. Aaron's Casino Farms, go to casinofarms.com, visit them in Queens, and you'll see what I mean. You'll see what I mean. When you're in a store that has a nice um, that has a ni- nice nut and candy display smack in the middle with delicious halva and much, much more, and a sushi bar to the right, and an olive bar to the left, and mechis a little further down, and then a delicious bakery, and Aussie's fish, and a whole meat section, and Fialkov's pizza. When you have when you have a place that has all of that, there's something you got to check out. Aaron's Casino Farms in Queens, CasinoFarms.com. Harry Rothenberg has uh, has what to say about Parashat Kitetse. I want to thank Harry in advance of his words and thank him for letting us provide this amazing um, a Torah discussion every single week to our audience in the 7 o'clock hour. Harry Rothenberg, Parashat Kitetse, JM in the AM. The Torah uses an unusual phrase to introduce a mitzvah this week. We're told that if you happen to chance upon a mother bird sitting on top of her offspring or eggs in a nest, you have to shoo away the mother bird before you can take those offspring or those eggs. One commentator sees this as a metaphor. If you chance upon a specific mitzvah, any mitzvah, and it really speaks to you, it has resonance. You should nurture that. You should cultivate it. You should master it. You should own it so that it becomes your signature mitzvah. Sending the mother bird away, this commentator continues, is also a metaphor that the usual rules don't apply when you master your signature mitzvah. Typically, you're only allowed to sacrifice your life if, God forbid, somebody points a gun at your head or otherwise threatens you with death unless you commit one of the three cardinal sins, adultery, idolatry, or murder. But, this commentator suggests, if it's your signature mitzvah, and you can give up your life for that as well. Maimonides refines this one step further. There's a famous phrase in the Talmud that tells us that because God wants to give merit to the Jews, he gives us many, many mitzvahs. 
the usual understanding of that is that God prohibits things that we wouldn't bother with anyway. Even without a prohibition, we wouldn't eat blood or ants or worms and the like. But God turns those into prohibitions so that when we refrain, we gain reward. Maimonides says, no, that's not what it's referring to. God gives us many, many mitzvahs. Why? So that for each person, there will be at least one that really speaks to him or her. And hopefully, while mastering that mitzvah, at least one time in your life, you'll do a perfect mitzvah. You'll do it with the perfect intensity, with the perfect intent, with the perfect concentration for no ulterior motive at all. If you do that, you can go up to heaven as the master of a mitzvah in general and the author, hopefully, of at least one perfect mitzvah, which will be of incalculable value on your eventual judgment day.
Pirche Yerushalayim, Yigal Salik. Uh, the amazing uh, choir leader, uh, composer, Yigal Salik. I don't, I, I, I'm trying to figure out. I think it's D- David Nadav, I think, was a soloist on that song. It's only going back about, what, 40, 50 years in that area? Maybe even more, frankly. Pirche Yerushalayim. I thought it was London. I thought London had done that song. We found it on Pirche Yerushalayim. Ki Kare, words from this week's Parsha. Friday morning, Erev Shabbos, candlelighting 726 in New York. Rabbi Yosef Gesser is with us live via telephone. He is the columnist of Monuments in, uh, Monuments to Nobility in Our Backyard, which appears in Hamodia. And um, he essentially is a leader of uh, private groups and um, and public tours of Kivrei Tzadikim, tours of uh, final resting places of the righteous, and we bring it up now, smack in the middle of the month of Elul, because, uh, frankly, a lot of people like to go and daven uh, during the month of Elul, in advance of the uh, Aserah Shimei Tshuva, uh, at the Kvarim, at the graves of uh, historically righteous people. And um, and um, this is a this is a custom in the Jewish world, and of course one is davening to God, but in the merit, one hopes, of those of whom he is davening in front of. Uh, this coming Sunday, assuming the weather cooperates, this coming Sunday Rabbi Yosef Gesser is going to lead a tour at the Washington Cemetery near Borough Park, Brooklyn, um, and, and you'll have an opportunity to learn about Rabbanim who helped build Torah life in America. There's an intri- interesting list of Kvarim that will be visited this Sunday, and again, if the weather cooperates, any problems, they'll postpone it for a week. Information, Y Gesser, that's uh, initial Y Gesser, G-E-S-S-E-R, at gmail.com. You could call him at 718-690-1534, 718-690-1534. Rabbi Yosef Gesser, welcome to JM in the AM. It's an honor to be here. I appreciate that very much. I, did I sum it up properly that in the month of Elul, the tradition is that people try to daven to the one above, in front of, or as close to uh, Kivrei Tzadikim, the uh, resting place of the righteous as possible? Yes, pretty much so. Actually, we find in the Shochan Aruch, in the Halachas of Erev Rosh Hashanah, the Shochan Aruch and the Mishtagur mentioned that Erev Rosh Hashanah there's this idea to go to the Kfarim, to Daven, and the reason is that the, the schus of the tzaddik who's interred there, that acts to strengthen our tefillahs. Right. And uh, so by extension, of course, you know, we can do this. We do, the people do do it, as you mentioned. It's the custom to our Elul and to the Sarasimei Trupa. You know, um, I'm not quite sure how to put this, but th- there are many great rabbinic leaders um um who are uh who have their final resting place in the New York area you have a list of those in the Washington cemetery frankly many of whom i have never heard of um do, do you do you purposely take people um so that you could tell the story and teach them history to to graves that they min- for of of whom they may not be familiar with the people well that's uh that's actually the fascinating thing people especially who live near here. I mean, I've gotten in previous tours people from uh, Long Island and Crown Heights and uh, Manhattan. There's a girl coming from the five towns this week. And uh, 
And they tell me that we passed this countless times and we never knew that there was such, there was Rosh Yeshiva and authors of Sforim and Rabbanim. It so happens that over here, the, the more famous ones uh, were not really buried over here. But um, it's, uh, it's, I like to call it uh, one of Brooklyn's best kept secrets. And people come here and they hear about it and um, they're fascinated. Not to get too technical, but now I'm curious. Where's the Washington Cemetery? Where's it located? Washington. So Washington Cemetery stretches from Ocean Parkway between avenues um, J and L through into Borough Park. I oh. believe it goes down to yeah. 21st Avenue. All right. Now I, now I know. Oh, my gosh. So I've passed there 4,000 times in my life. And never right, everybody does. Oh my God, I didn't even realize I was a Jewish cemetery. Rabbi Yosef Gesser is with us live via telephone. He is going to be conducting a tour, and if you're going to sign up or if you're going to make a reservation, make sure to be in touch with him, which you could do by email or by telephone, because they may change the date from this Sunday because of the weather. But right now, there is a a group tour available for this coming Sunday. They'll visit Rav Hillel Klein's Kever. Rav Tzvi Stern, Rav Yaakov Ehrenreich, Rav Gedal Yohu, uh, Bernstein, uh, and others at the Washington Cemetery, literally a smack in the middle of the uh, Jewish neighborhood of Brooklyn, New York. It's led by Rabbi Yosef Gesser, and it happens this coming Sunday. And again, you'll want to be in touch with him uh, just in case of uh, a postponement. Uh, it starts at 1130. You got to RSVP. You could do so by emailing Gesser. that's initial Y, G-E-S-S-E-R, at gmail.com or calling him at 718-690-1534. Now, we've heard of these public tours in the past, or I guess are yours and others. I've never heard of private tours, but tell me about the private and group tours that you do literally uh, by setting it up, by uh, making a reservation, or that somebody out there makes a reservation for a private tour of these types of, uh, of Kvarim. Right, so I want to emphasize that schools, Schools, families, other organizations, they can uh, arrange a private tour at uh, a time that's convenient for them when they want to do it. And uh, it's basically the same tour. I can also do it. Uh, there's also there's other cemeteries in, in Queens and Cypress Hills. Right. Uh, you have Rav Palm and Rabbi, uh, Jacob Joseph, the chief rabbi, Rabbi Yaakov Kamensky, many, many of them. That's another. That's a different tour. But right now, uh, my focus has been on Washington Cemetery. And we've had it between 15 and 20 tours, I'd say, in the last three years. And people come away inspired. They're fascinated. It's an opportunity to daven. Everybody has things to daven for. And the thing is, people usually fly out to Europe, to the great, uh, the former centers of, uh, of Hasidic life right. and, and Torah life. And they daven over there. But not everybody has the money for that. Not everybody can get away for, for five or seven days or whatever it is. And I want to point out that there's places right over here, people daven, and uh, of course there's no promise, but uh, they've seen positive results from, from davening. And I also want to point out that many of these, um, the Rabbanim and the great Yidden that, we, that, are, that are buried over here, they lived in the late 1800s, the early 1900s, when, when Yiddishkeit was much, much weaker than it is today. They made sacrifices, they were mice and nefesh, to be mechanic their children, Fishmir Shabbos. We all know stories. Uh, somebody, they, they, they lost their job because they didn't come in Shabbos and had to keep on getting other jobs. And they were, 
and kashras. Today we have kashras handed to us on a silver platter, as it were. Yeah. And this is the way of, besides Davin, you get paying tribute to these Yidden, who they essentially, they, they built Yiddishkeit. They, they put down the foundation for Yiddishkeit yeah. uh, in this country, and especially in New York. I was just going to say that uh, when you're visiting Rav Gedalia Bernstein, who was the Rav in Brownsville, and Rav Hill Klein, uh, and um, and Rav Tzvi Stern from Borough Park, the base Medrash Torah Yisrael, when you're talking about these individuals, you are not only visiting them and praying at their grave, you're paying tribute to the people who literally built the neighborhoods, the Jewish neighborhoods of New York City, and as you pointed out, and now, thank God, it's a much easier life for us in this area, and partly because of their accomplishments, frankly. Yes, yes. Uh, yes. All right, so this is it. It's very simple. This Sunday, you you haven't made a final decision yet about Sunday, but you'll be in touch with anybody who's been in touch with you, right? Yes, and they should be in touch with me if they, if they are thinking of going. If you want to go Sunday, it starts at 1130 uh, this coming Sunday in Brooklyn. Rabbi Yosef Gesser uh, is um, more than happy to take your phone call at 718-690-1534, 718-690-1534 for this coming Sunday's tour of Kivrei Tzadikim, literally in the center of, uh, of Brooklyn. And uh, you can also email yguesser at gmail.com, yguesser at gmail.com. If your school or shul wants to put something together now before um, a Rosh Hashanah or at any point during the year, be in touch with the right guesser at the same address, yguesser at gmail.com or 718-690-1534. Let us hope that in the schus of you bringing people to Davin at places like this, Rabbi Gesser, that all of our tefillos are answered and we have a wonderful Tufshin Pei Bays. Amen. Thank you so much for a good year to you and all your listeners. Thanks so much. A good year and a wonderful Shabbos. Friday morning broadcast. More coming up. It's JM in the AM.
Slimy Toysig with Kadshenu. You heard uh, Nishmas done by Yisrael Werdiger. Yismachu was the uh, Waterbury crew on a Friday morning broadcast here at JMNAM. Zarev Shabbos Parshas Kitetze. Candle lighting time in New York at 726. Many synagogues begin earlier and certainly please make sure you know when things start where you are, whatever neighborhood you might be on this planet. Hopefully it's a free and independent neighborhood as opposed to the... Um, situations that we see in the majority of the world, or at least a big part of the world. I don't know if it's the majority. I'll have to ask Malcolm about that. But after watching the events of this week, um, cherish the freedom and independence that we still have here in the United States of America, especially as a Jewish community. Um, how did I get to this? Oh, yeah, candle lighting. Make, <laughs> make sure you know when they light candles where you are. 76 degrees with afternoon showers at a high of 84. It's 89, you shall lie him. 76 here in New York City as we say good morning here at JM in the AM. Uh, please don't forget our friends at JewishWorldReview.com. It can change your whole perspective on things. Checking out and printing out article after article after article about Israel and the Jewish world. Lots of opinion pieces. Go to JewishWorldReview.com and to print out whatever you uh, would like to read over Shabbos. That's always our weekly recommendation. We like educated people. We like people who are up on the news of the day. That's one of the ways to do so, by going to jewishworldreview.com. Malcolm Holmline is executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. He joins us every Friday morning, 7.40 a.m. Eastern Time for the weekly update. Mr. Holmline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Is he there? Mr. Honline. All right. Not quite sure what happened there. 
All right, we'll take this break. Be back with more coming up. You're listening to JM in the AM. And we'll try this one more time. How's that? Friday morning, Erev Shabbos. Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. He's with us Friday morning, 7.40 a.m. Eastern Time for the weekly update. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Thank you. It's good Ah. to be with you. I hope you hear me now. I do hear you now. Baruch Hashem. Baruch Hashem. Malcolm, I hate to start with this story, but as you can imagine, the collective Jewish heart around the world uh, certainly is in pain and agony for the family from Cleveland, Ohio, that suffered this terrible loss of their son, the Silverberg family, out in Denver. What is your reaction when in the United States in 2021, young criminals can walk into a yeshiva and gun down, literally murder a yeshiva boy? And and shoot four times at the principal who came to the door. I mean, I've been on top of it, uh, speaking to the people there and through the SCAN, the Secure Community Network, which has been in touch with the Denver police. And uh, st- they still contend, at least they did as of uh, the middle of the night when we last spoke, that this was not an anti-Semitic tactic. This was a crime spree where they had taken, um, which t- took a heavier toll. There was somebody else who was on uh, life support in a hospital, uh, having been shot by them and that they had uh, undertaken a number of uh, criminal acts during the, prior to that during the night, and that four out of the five are, are, were arrested, and they were looking for their last uh, uh, perpetrator, uh, believed to be perpetrator. It's a tragedy that it's hard to, to even address, and, and nobody can be indifferent to, to such a, a vicious attack, on, and the, the reports and the Levaya, the comments about this uh, young boy were, were just unbelievable. So it's a uh, yeah, it's a statement of the time, and and in every major city you have shootings, you have uh, these record numbers of of, um, of criminal acts, and uh, I don't know what uh, you can offer so, the family condolences, but in the community, but so it's was the reality. It, so is it the fact that I'm just trying to understand the reaction of the media and and essentially of the country. Uh, it was was it the fact that the police, you know, are are drawing this conclusion that it was simply a crime spree and not a hate crime that keeps this out of the general headlines? Because you know that there are certain institutions that if a gunman or a gang would have walked in and 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 murdered somebody under different circumstances in, in a you know in a different uh, in a different type of building, you know, it would have gotten national headlines and tremendous attention. Is this not getting the attention simply because? They don't think, or they're releasing information that doesn't indicate that it's a hate crime. You know, I just think people are overwhelmed right now with uh, these events, 
and in the Jewish community, it doesn't matter whether it was a hate crime or not. I think the, the outpouring is is immense everywhere. Uh, but the police did say that it was not a hate crime and have been consistent in that message based on what happened. But the, even the, the details at first, that it was outside, then it was inside, and they yeah. tried to get into the building, they did shoot in the building. So we'll get more clarity on it. But then the police said last night to us that if, in, in fact, they see any evidence that's a hate crime, they will... They will make it public, right? But, I, but I, I didn't, that's only in the targeting. It's not in the execution of it. They, right. they clearly knew what right. who they were shooting. Understood. I, I just need your perspective because, frankly, nobody has your experience, and nobody usually has your, you know, balance when it comes to these things. Should we be outraged or not? And and I think you're right. By the way, they were so overwhelmed in general by so many stories in and out of the community that you know sometimes things do get somewhat overlooked by the media. Should we be concerned? that there was not the national media attention and outrage that there typically might be in other circumstances, or in this case, it's justified? It's not justified in any way. And I, I'm equally upset about it and the fact that, that uh, a shooting like this, uh, as brutal uh, a killing as this, regardless of who the victim was, right. uh, should have been uh, a subject of outrage. But uh, I'm, my concern is that we become inured to it, that we right. become so used to it and that the numbers of shootings are so great that the media doesn't pay attention to it. Yeah. And if there's not a, some sort of spectacular aspect that it was a you know a racist or, or anti-Semitic attack, I wonder, though, had the victim been uh, somewhat different, right. whether there would have been greater outrage. Right. Understood. Uh, terrible. Uh, condolences, of course, to the family. And yes, they need to know that the collective Jewish heart everywhere internationally uh, is is in agony over what happened, and uh, and you know I, I talk about freedom and independence. You know you you think that uh, we're 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 in a place that uh, ra- random killings, especially you know um, when it comes to our community, uh, are either not possible or so rare. And then of course we get this wake up call this week. Speaking of wake up calls, I think the entire United States and the world got a wake up call in the aftermath of what we discussed last Friday. Uh, which was the fall of uh, Kabul and what was going on in Afghanistan. My gosh, Malcolm, what a difference, or I should say how much more so uh, over the last seven days since we last spoke about this. How, how do you even, how can you even sum up uh, um, uh, how the world views the United States? You have made such a point over the last decades with us uh, about the impression uh, of reliability that the U.S. must maintain in this world. Uh, what does this Afghanistan episode do to that? Well, one thing, it's it's devastating on, on many levels. And, uh, you know, in the Middle East, even more than other parts of the world, but it's true universally, how people perceive us is how they determine what their own actions will be the degree to which they can rely on us, the degree in which they will turn to the United States and, and not those who oppose us. Yeah. I think this has had a shattering effect. I think it, uh, we, we don't even understand the long-term repercussions. Number one, of Afghanistan itself, people should take a look at the map and see where Afghanistan is, bordering on, on uh, Pakistan and nuclear power, on the Muslim states of of Central Asia, Turkmenistan, Tajikistan, all of them have to worry. Even Iran has to worry. And Iran 
as you know, has been using Afghani Sunni fighters in Syria as their front. They have a Sunni population, and they're worried about the radicalization and then along their border, uh, which they have a long border with, with um, Afghanistan as well. They, the, this is something that was they were planning all along, and it doesn't appear that we were planning uh, properly uh, for it. The fear on the part of many countries, and especially our European friends, so-called, uh, about the influx of millions of refugees who could flow out of Afghanistan uh, if they can get out and, and go through the, some of the neighboring countries, the way that Russia, China will exploit this in the region, the way that Iran will exploit it in the region, and look at the statements that Raisi has already made about this and how this emboldens Hezbollah, Hamas. What will happen to the billions of dollars in weapons? Will they share it with their terrorist counterparts? Will they? How destabilizing this is way beyond uh, the region. You know, that the, the Taliban have a political office in Doha. They have uh, postings in other countries. They have liaisons with, with other terrorist groups. And the, the, uh, the message that this uh, sent them with the, the, the swiftness with which they could take over the country, yeah. that they got our Black Hawk helicopters, they got a light air, uh, aircraft from us, attack aircraft from uh, the American supplies. All of these things will have tremendous ramifications in the immediate region and far beyond it. But most of all, the perception of the United States, people act based on how, what they believe we will do, and now they don't believe that America will stand with them, and that's something that has to be addressed immediately. And you, the U.S., have become so unreliable for us, the average citizens of Afghanistan, that we have to cling to aircraft that's about to take off in order to try to escape the country. I mean, that image is just, you know, going to sit with people for God knows how long. And who will work with us in, in, in the next place where we need to domestic locals to, to yeah. stand with us, even, even as translators, let alone right. as people who cooperated and co- or collaborated with the United States, and we, we made promises to them. We can't even get out the Americans right now. I mean, it's so devastatingly upsetting and and. Uh, you know, the, you have to think about what, what, what was going through the heads. How did they allow this kind of a situation to obtain? You know, we put $83 billion in weapons into this country in the last 20 years. Wow. We have invested so much more than people know because, you know, if, if there isn't an open conflict, people don't don't take note. And, and you had this interim period where you didn't have the Taliban in, in charge. But they were operating all this time. They were building. They were planning. They were uh, ready to execute or, or immediately and to, to sweep across the country. And then we're told, well, we couldn't anticipate it. We didn't know it. We didn't think it would happen. It's, uh, you know... It, there's so many ramifications that, that we see of this and how this resonates around the world and, and, and the threats that are made to other of our allies saying, you saw what happened to them. Look at what Hezbollah is saying. Look what others are saying in the region. Yeah. When, when this all began 20 years ago, was it the Taliban that was giving cover to al-Qaeda or was there an alliance between the two of them? What was... What was going on that we uh, when we that we decided to go into Afghanistan? We knew that Bin Laden was there. Like, what was the? Yeah, it was against Bin Laden, and it was about the nine uh, eleven. No, no, it was that to I go know. After the people but, who executed the the attack. But was there a, a an agreement, an arrangement between the two groups? Was there a cooperation between the two groups? 
as I recall, there was a, I would say a tolerance of the of the of the groups that the Taliban uh, government allowed them to to function, um, and and Iran also, by the way, allowed Taliban to, to hide in Iran and uh, and Al Qaeda to hide in Iran, of course, across that very porous border. But yes, that was the the circumstance because it, we I'm thought sure, we addressed it. Because I'm sure I'm not the only one. You know, Taliban and Hezbollah and Al Qaeda and Boko Haram and Hamas and ISIS and Muslim Brotherhood. Yet to us, to the average person in the West, I think that you know we, we lump them all together. Are, are, are there great? No, di- are they're there- not one. They're not one. And this is like a hydra, a multi-headed uh, uh, animal that has um, independent uh, entities. They have linkages between various ones, and some of them are, by the way, competing um, entities. But they, and you have the Sunni Shiite divide, you have other divides, ideological divides. Uh, Taliban is, is not the same as, uh, for instance, Iran's, uh, and, and remember that they are radical Sunnis, and, and the, the Iraq Iranians are radical Shiites. And, the, and they're worried about the Sunni population in. Side Afghanistan, they have to worry about the the, the Sunni, the Shiite population, uh, Shia population in uh, Afghanistan, as well as the Sunnis who who are there inside Iran. The, everything has multiple ramifications. It's just, you know people address this with such simplicity, yeah. and and that's why we warned about it because we knew the West didn't understand it. They can't. They didn't see. The, the significance and what the nature of these movements are. And the truth is we could crush them. That's the, the frustrating thing to me is that they could be dealt with, but it needs resolution. It needs to have the resolve of the West. And this is not just the Democratic or Republican thing. We've been doing this for too long through over the years, too much tolerance of it, everybody thinking that they could know better how to deal with it. When these guys understand one thing, strength, when President Bush II made the speech about the axis of evil, we yeah. were at the height of our power because they really believed that he would do things. When uh, What Trump's advantage was is that they thought he really could carry out some of these attacks. There was a fear of, of them. And when they don't, and not a fear, and they, they will take advantage of and exploit every weakness, every opening. And, that, and they do that, and that's how they operate and, and, and succeed. They, they don't have to invest multi-billion dollars to build infrastructures and staff, and, and uh, they, they recruit, they exploit, they kidnap people to make money. They are in the drug business, and I'm talking about Taliban, uh, very much so involved in it, and they are able to extract enough money to function. Uh, you remember 20 years ago, was there no choice? The, the spirit or the atmosphere in the United States was at that time that there was no choice but to militarily take some action to show this country that we wouldn't tolerate, you know, people people killing thousands of people on our own soil i mean that's the way i remember it because people yeah. are criticizing you know george w now for going in and creating all this but i don't i don't know if the american people would have had would have tolerated anything else other than some type of military action at that point they demanded action it, the act was so horrific but if you look at the cumulative numbers of people that they kill uh, and that die in these terrorist attacks and how many you know in europe the iranians kill people kidnap them off the streets, bring them home. Turkey does it, others do it, and we, we tolerate it. We find excuses. We, so we want to negotiate with people who keep telling us that they want to destroy us. I mean, Raisi has made very clear what his views are, and the fact is that they're stalling the talks 
they they are they don't care about the needs of their people. They will sacrifice them. People are dying in Iran in, in incredible numbers from COVID, as they are in other countries that that devote the money to terrorism and to all sorts of terrible uh, activities at home and and abroad. The, you see what happened in Lebanon. Hezbollah, the country is in total ruins economically, and the and Hezbollah is is um, stepping up their efforts and and threatening Israel and saying that they're importing uh, gas from Iran and oil. And if you touch it, you know we will get you. Anybody in the West and people are intimidated then by it, and they blame now the United States and they blame Lebanon. And by the way, in the whole region, you see that in Algeria they're blaming the fires on Israel and Morocco. <laughs> I mean, it's so ludicrous. You think it's funny, but the people in Algeria are buying it. They get fed this diet that that the fires are because of the of the interference of foreign entities. It's why this is so complex and so frustrating to be able to communicate the reality of what's happening on the ground. That Iran continues all of its activities. You know, where you see publicly welcomes the defeat of the United States, makes the statements. Uh, you know, to that are very harsh, but at the same time, you know, he has to address the internal chaos, the demonstrations, and we do nothing to support the groups inside Iran now, which is what we should be doing. Yeah, that might be better than military action. Yes, it would, and, and they're they're engaging in in uh, cyber attacks, which are very devastating. People don't know there was an attack. The Chinese did an attack on Israel this week, but the. Iranians are constantly doing uh, cyber attacks. They have whole units of, that are officially charged uh, with uh, with doing these things. And the uh, escalation in in when you think about Israel's direct challenge that uh, Hezbollah and and the uh, its allies inside the Lebanon and diminishing allies, the people are rising up against it. And yet the West doesn't do anything to try to and, and change this situation, to get rid of Hezbollah, to at least diminish Hezbollah. And the the uh, actions inside Syria, where Iran, Iranian militias are again, and now Russia is, is uh, you know, activating the anti-aircraft, which limits Israel's ability. So Israel has to fly over Lebanon. And the then they challenged it at the U.N. yesterday. They filed a complaint that Israel is violating their airspace. Yeah, because you're protecting the lives of the people. The currency in Iran, in Lebanon is down 90 percent. Wow. Half the population is living in poverty. Where, where's the outrage about it? Where are they talking about it? I'm sure the squad will uh, speak up about the uh, conditions that both women and children are going through in countries like that at this point. It's America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program. Heard on listeners-sponsored digital radio, around the world, the web, at com on the Nahum Segal Network, and of course on the beloved NSN app. By the way, there's a counterterrorism guide online. I'm sure you've seen this, because there are probably more than one, uh, which goes through every country in the world that has terrorist activity on a regular basis, you know, where there's a real presence of groups like the Taliban, etc. It, it, it's impossible to clean up this situation with the U.S. military. <laughs> it is, it's not possible. There's so many of these groups dominating so many areas in so many countries uh, that it's impossible. The only way is what you described earlier is to support those within the country that really want to make change, that really want to see things. And by the way, in Afghanistan, the same thing. There's now there there would now be a method. I'm not saying it would get you know Joe Biden back on everybody's uh, you know uh, good side of the list, but you know there's there are methods now to support groups that are trying to stand up against the Taliban at this point. And if the United States really sincerely wanted to see a change in government there, that's who they would be supporting. But 
we can cut off the oxygen to these groups. It means that with the sanctions work. They worked in Iran. We, we just yesterday decided to hold up the $7 billion that is being held in the United States. They froze the, that money that Afghanistan uh, needs, although God knows how much money that they've taken. Supposedly hundreds of millions of dollars were found in the house of the uh, president that escaped. No. Um, but the, the, the fact is, in each of these places, they need to get supplies, they need financing by, by putting down the markers. And when we put them down tough and said, you will not do business in the United States, you will not have access to SWIFT, you will not have access to central banks, until today, it works. And we can, we can chug, choke them off take away the the supplies, take away the, um, as I said, the oxygen that enables them to continue to function, and we can diminish them. And then the local forces can can take uh, action. It will be much more effective. That's to challenge them as they are now. I mean, I don't see any local forces, although there are a lot of, there is a lot of dissent inside Afghanistan. They are trying to crush it now, going region by region and crushing the the elements of resistance that, uh, that exist. But the people want these things, and the people would get the support if they would know, if the people in Iran would hear resonance when there are dem- thousands of demonstrations taking place, and nobody in the West cares. Nobody stands up for them. Yeah. And they're willing to put their lives on the line for it. But if the President of the United States or anybody in the administration would act the way you just described, it wouldn't be making headlines. It wouldn't show the world that you know we're the U.S. who's coming in to save the day. Like often, you know, we try to do with the military. It would be a behind-the-scenes act that, frankly, wouldn't get any headlines, and that would prevent people from doing it. It's sad, but I think that that's one of the reasons that people don't do it. And that Washington- look how clever uh, and shrewd I think Putin is. How he, he's manipulating himself into all these circumstances, including into Africa, with nothing. He has no economy. He he, he doesn't even make an investment of manpower generally. But if you're clever and you, you, you know how to leverage his situations, and he takes advantage of the weakness of the West. He's been pretty quiet on the whole Afghanistan situation, right? Yes. Look, it's, it's not good for him either. If, if, uh, and you know that he has a huge Muslim population. The radicalization of that population is a great threat to them. And you remember what they did to the Chechens and to others. Um, yeah. they, they, a very significant part of the military officers in Russian army are Muslims today. And their radicalization and, and the radicalization of the population is a direct threat to the to the to Russia. Um is this the only thing that uh, the only good thing <laughs> I have to be careful how I say this. Uh, um it's funny to watch how both Republicans and Democrats who have not been able to agree on anything in the last few years when it came to this they had no problem being in full agreement about uh, how the administration blew it with uh, Afghanistan, how specifically uh, they blew it when it came to uh, supporting those and evacuating those who have been working for the United States uh, all this time. Um, uh, is he going to survive this, Joe Biden? Is he going to be able to uh, to make it through all this criticism as this episode does not seem to be even close to over? Well, I would. I think we have to think of the consequences if he doesn't survive it, because you know, we, we, you know, you know what you got. You don't know what you're going to get, and you know he has been resistant to some of the more extreme forces in the Democratic Party. I know all the speculation about his health, about his his capacities and stuff. I, I, I don't know the answers to it. Um, the, the 
this is far more complicated than people who make simplistic assessments about it, um, uh, you know, should think mo- more deeply about the, um, the consequences uh, of this. Can he survive politically? I don't know, but I can tell you that the people who do the assessments about 2022 and the uh, congressional elections are saying that, it, that the chances of Republicans taking one or even both houses increases every day. Right. Uh, and as the story stays in the headlines, I guess that would just continue to increase. Uh, let me switch to a couple of other things for a second. Do we know who's responsible for the fire near Yerushalayim this week? Was it arson? Was it not? Do we know? It appears to be arson, and uh, you know that it flared up again, did a lot of damage, uh, and many countries came and helped, um, including, uh, by the way, some Palestinian firefighters came and helped, and the, they were wow. thanked publicly this morning uh, or left during the night. Uh, so the country, the fires around Yerushalayim were under control. They flared up again on, uh, I guess, Thursday in Israel. Uh, they are under control, from what I understand, but they're still burning, and they, they, they did a lot of damage. I mean, houses were destroyed, and yes, it's believed to be arson. Uh, speaking of rescue efforts, not a criticism if they weren't able to, but do you know if Israel sent anybody to Haiti this week? Israel sent aid to Germany recently. They uh, sent they offered aid to Turkey for after their floods, right. and I'm certain as they did in the past that they yes yes they did send assistance. The Israel aid group went to uh, Haiti. If Israel would not have been warned by Nasrallah, would they have gone after this tanker? Like Nasrallah is issuing this warning because he wants to try to guarantee that oil that they're quote unquote importing to Lebanon makes it there. But if he wouldn't have issued this warning, would Israel be interested in stopping this tanker anyway? I don't think Israel takes its orders from Nasrallah. I think they do what they think is practical and pragmatic. Um, oil is something which they need, that people need to, to just to function, and the government as well. But Israel's choking off many things for Hezbollah, and uh, I don't think would pass up an opportunity to do something effective if they thought it was uh, practical. Mm. Uh, what's with the Qatar money that's going directly to people in Gaza? So this is a deal they worked out through the UN. It's been the money's been held up for quite a while. Uh, you know, people think that the, when they see the aggregate amounts, but it means a hundred dollars that's going to a hundred thousand people. Um, and these are all ones approved by Israel, not to believe believed to be members of Hamas or uh, officials of Hamas. And the PA is the one that was fighting. It wasn't Israel. It was the Palestinian Authority who didn't want money to going anywhere to anybody in Gaza or anybody uh, who, who may have had some affiliation. Uh, but this is humanitarian aid, and because it's, it's monitored, that uh, Israel is comfortable with uh, forwarding it, and they reached an accord about how it would be distributed. And that means it's going to go directly to the people who need it. Right. right? That's the point. I mean, right. uh, because you've described to us what happens with aid money in general when it gets it to Gaza. And dolphin. Yeah, it doesn't get much further than that. Um, uh, when is the Bennett-Biden meeting, and, and is it still scheduled? Right. So as of now, it's still scheduled. He's scheduled to arrive here, I think, on Wednesday. He's leaving Tuesday from Israel. He arrives here Wednesday. Uh, he'll have the meeting on the, uh, Thursday and then probably leave Thursday to get back for Shabbos. Um, all right, so that meeting is still on. Now, uh, does the Afghanistan uh, episode change the agenda of this meeting? And there, the reason I say it is because there have been more than one opinion piece 
uh, that now the United States and the world should understand what Israel always says about evacuating somewhere and leaving a vacuum to be filled by a terrorist group, which is, of course, what Israel's always concerned about when people demand that they leave somewhere. Um, Although there's always an exception when it comes to Israel, right? Because everything applies to everybody except when it comes to the Jews, we feel differently. Do you think that this will change the agenda of the meeting? It'll certainly impact the agenda. Uh, I think the, the logical conclusion should be the one that you outlined, but you can't assume that there will be logic. Uh, when when, <laughs> when people proposed, you know, Kerry proposed that Israel do the same thing that we, we did with the, the Taliban, essentially. Right. Uh, and Israel has always said, we're not going to rely on anybody else. And this is the, the message, again, that, that Israel has to be able to rely on itself to defend itself under any circumstance. You know, they're all shifting alliances. I do believe, by the way, that the Abraham Accords will be strengthened by what happened in in uh, Afghanistan. Uh, many people think that it will shift and it will weaken. I think it will strengthen it because they will look more and more to Israel, that the uh, that other countries will also reassess and, and recognize that we have one country that can't pull out, that can't doesn't have options uh, either, and that is the stationary aircraft carrier for, for the region. So I think that this could be incentivize uh, people, obviously diminishes their confidence in the West. You see already Egypt flirting and buying stuff, weapons from uh, from Russia. Uh, you see all of the countries that will take advantage of this, I'm sure Turkey and Iran, everybody will take advantage in their way, even though they, they have to be worried about some of the consequences uh, as well. So the the message here is very clear for Israel, I think above all. I think the meeting is meant to be, uh, will, will be a successful one. They will talk about Iran. They will not necessarily agree, but Iran is right now the one holding up the talks in Vienna, and Raisi does not seem to want to make a deal. And, and we know that the enrichment, by the way, that was substantiated by the International Atomic Energy Agency, that they're enriching much faster, much more, and moving ahead on every area towards a, a nuclear weapon, at, at a greater speed that they have another uh, cascade of centrifuges, which is at a much more advanced centrifuges that are, are producing it so that they can enrich much faster. And they their stockpiles are much greater. They're supposed to enrich at 3.67%. Now we're talking about that they're uh, producing steadily at, at 20, but they can get up to 60%. 90% is weapons grade. That the uh, the infrastructure there is is being uh, upgraded and built all the time. So in the meantime, while everybody is stalling on the talks, they're moving ahead on the weaponization, on the, on the ballistic missile development, and on their uh, production of weapons of for more conventional weapons, submarines, and other things of that kind. Yeah. So this the, the message is very clear to everybody. And the question is, what do they do about it? How do you get the Europeans to finally understand that their survival is at stake? You, 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 that we, we have seen it over and over again now, that the uh, influx of Muslim populations uh, from Turkey, from other countries, and now the, the, it, you know, many people say it is too late. Well, I don't believe it's ever too late to take at least steps now to, to stop the threat, to address it, to help the Muslim populations in these countries who who are going to be persecuted because of it. So this is not a racial or a religious bias in, in inherent in this. 
This is facing reality and seeing how do you protect people's human rights and the stability of the world. Yeah. Not too late to uh, acknowledge and appreciate our freedom and independence in this country that we still have as long as it lasts. I mean, we still have it. And that has to be emphasized. Look uh, at the deaths in all these countries. At least in yeah. America, people are getting vaccines. In yeah. in in um, in Iran, they don't admit that the death toll is at least ten times what they admit, and they do have mass graves. And now the second wave, and they did not import the the vaccines. We know that some of what they are uh, touting are are not real vaccines. They said they were going to produce their own. So their people are paying the price for this. Yeah. Uh, finally, speaking of COVID, the situation in Israel continues to get worse. They're actually considering postponing the start of the school year in Israel. And, uh, I think most of us are considering postponing our October trips to Israel, the way things are looking. Um, I, I think, I mean, I, mean, I, I cited the Ezra Klein article. I, I think we, this is going to be with us for a while. I, I think we all have to acknowledge that at this point, this is going to be with us longer than any of us anticipated. And if we don't start learning to live with it. Instead of just uh, locking everyone down and keeping people out of other each and every you know country out there, then we're gonna have a completely different worldwide society. I think we have no choice but to uh, learn to live with this uh, COVID situation and act accordingly. Well, unfortunately, I think that the Yom Tovim are are out. I know that hotels have called to cancel um, reservations that people have made for the for Sukkot. And and uh, hopefully by October, November, they will, it will open up again. But there's no assurance. I think it is with us. Israel has taken very um, strong precautionary measures, and and the ready significant percentage have gotten the third shot that we will start in September doing. Um, but the uh, yeah, I do believe that this is going to be around for a while, and we'll have to learn to live with it and cope with it. And people should comply with all of the orders, and whether it's wearing a mask on a plane or whether it's in, in going into buildings, and you know, you're protecting others, even if you don't want to protect yourself. And there have to be very strong messages. Look, we, we have a, we're going into a new year with a, a whole panoply of challenges. We didn't even talk about anti-Semitism. We didn't talk about what the restitution law in Poland denying now the, the Holocaust survivors and their descendants the right to, to make claims. Uh, and, and and some of the manifestations in on, already we're seeing on the campuses, the anti-Israel uh, moves that are, are taking place. Uh, and sometimes positive news like Morocco and Israel going to upgrade to full embassies in uh, in a month or so, and the um, uh, many other things that are in the works that hopefully we'll, we will see the, uh, um, the the progress that is being made too. But we have real challenges, and as people think about the new year that's coming, we're right now overwhelmed by some of the more the dramatic events. But there's much more going on, and and people have to be alert. People have to talk about it. I hope Rabbanim will address it. We'll talk to the young people about the need to be involved, to know what's going on, to understand what's happening. I mean, it's our future, and this is a, a very critical stage now for on many grounds and many reasons that um, I'm sure we will talk about in the new year. Yeah, no question about it. We even we didn't even discuss the whole APEC situation this week and the reaction that. 
J Street and others did publicly. Outrageous uh, reactions, the outrageous statements by Jews. Somebody wrote an article, when the Jew bashers are Jews. Well, the Peter Beinarts, the others who are engaging in, in the most vicious anti-Israel propaganda under the guise of being Jews and of being, you know, that they, they have, he, he wants uh, no more... Uh, two-state solution. He wants a one-state solution, and yet he still gets to be invited to speak at things, and yet so much of, uh, of the problem comes from within the community. Yeah, where and there, too, we have to demand standards. Where did those Jewish parents go wrong, I need to know? I need to know how they produced people. Not out the of first their... generation where this has been uh, yeah. been true. So Yeah, that's true. Unfortunately, it's historic. Uh, Malcolm, I thank you. We will speak in two weeks, please, God, and have a wonderful Shabbos. Malcolm Holmline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Uh, he'll join us next for the uh, final weekly update of 5781. Um, oh, no, I'm wrong. Oh, no, I'm right. Uh, he'll join us next at the final uh, weekly update of 5781, two weeks from today. Next week, next Friday, I will be uh, recovering from my what will hopefully be a successful most recent foot surgery. I feel like I've told this audience about my foot surgeries God knows how many times over the last 20 years. And you know why it feels that way? Because I have. Anyway, so uh, next week is going to be a uh, a recovery day, and we will have an able-bodied substitute host for JM in the AM. And two weeks from today, we'll do our Erev Rosh Hashanah uh, weekly update with Malcolm right here. At JM in the AM. Friday morning, Erev of Shabbos, candlelighting 726. Make sure you know when things start where you are this time each and every Friday, every Erev of Shabbos. With great pleasure, we present Rabbi Benjamin Uden, spiritual leader emeritus, congregation summary Torah in Fairlawn, New Jersey, to address the entire listening audience concerning the Torah portion of the week. Good morning, Rabbi Uden. Good morning, Nachum. Good Erev Shabbos, everybody. Tomorrow we have the privilege of reading Parshas Kiseitzei. Pashas Kiseitze has the distinction of containing the most mitzvos of any parsha in the Torah. According to the Chinuch, there are no less than 74 mitzvos, more than 10% of the entire 613. There are 27 positive and 47 restrictions. Among the mitzvos found, in this week's parsha, is the mitzvah of burial, and remember the teaching of Rav Hirsch that the Torah very often teaches in the extreme, and therefore the Torah doesn't say that if a ordinary good citizen among the Jewish people passes on, bury him or her. No, the Torah speaks of a rare situation where We've had to execute an individual and hang their body. The Torah says that individual that has been hung, losolin nivlaso alo eitz. You're not to allow that body to stay on the tree, on the gallows overnight, but rather, ki kavor sikbarenu bayomahu. You are to bury him on that day. The mitzvah of burial, and it's important to just remind ourselves because lo'aleinu, today um, people think they have choices and therefore they can go and choose to have um, 
above bound above ground burial or lower lano cremation and this is certainly against Torah law and it's very very important that we just not know this but whenever possible influence those who are not yet educated in Torah law that this is what the Torah demands and provides the greatest dignity for the deceased as well. You have the laws of marriage, you have the laws of divorce, many, many mitzvot, and I'd like to point out, interestingly, that five, at least five out of the 74, deal with animals. The Torah gives us the laws of prika, whereby if an animal has a load on its back and the load has shifted, therefore by causing pain to the animal, as well as potential uh, serious financial loss to the owner of the animal if the load is going to fall and perhaps break. So there's a mitzvah to unload um, the animal and to assist the owner. The mitzvah of te'ina, helping someone place the load on top of the animal. The third mitzvah is that of Kansipor. The Torah tells us that if you chance upon a mother bird that is hovering over the chicks or the eggs, lo sikach ha'im al habonim, you're not to take the mother and its young, shaleach tishalach es ha'im, send the mother bird away, and then ves habonim tikach loch. You have the mitzvah of lo sacharosh b'shor v'chamor yachdov. You're not to plow with an ox and a donkey. And finally, at the end of the parsha, you have the prohibition of lo sachsom shor bedisho, which is to muzzle the ox while it is threshing and working for you. I'd like to point out that Wait a second. Why at least five? And if we count the exact number of mitzvahs, it's more because Kansipor is both a positive and a negative. So, what's going on here? That the Torah has laws legislating our relations to man. So, I have to remind us that our Torah has laws which clearly refine the character of man and think about it the Torah is our constitution and if you compare our constitution to any other constitution you don't find in any other constitution this concept of refinement of character the constitution all other are a means of protecting citizens one from another a citizen has a right and rights, and therefore, if one violates the rights of another individual, then they have to, quote, pay the consequences. And here we see again and again that the Torah is out to refine, not just one cannot cause damage to someone else, but the Torah is to refine the character of man, and that's why 
according to the Gemara in Avodah Zorah, one of the opinions that the fifth book of the Torah is called Sefer Hayoshar because the Torah has in this book again and again, not just to do good, but to go beyond and to once again um, be there for the next one and refine the character of man. So I'd like to point this out from the mitzvah of Kan Tzipor, uh, whereby the Ramban says that the purpose of this mitzvah is, unlike the Rambam, who says that the purpose of the mitzvah is to have feelings for the mother bird, because just as a human mother has feelings for its young, so too does a mother bird have feelings for its young. The Ramban says that that's not the primary focus. The primary focus is to make sure and to assure that the Jew becomes a Baal Rachamim, a merciful individual, that we are to follow the ways of Hashem. As He is merciful, so are we to be merciful. And therefore, we are to be merciful even to the animals and by hopefully showing mercy to the animals, all the more so to man. Now, take the mitzvah of Losachrosh Bishor V'chamor. You're not to plow with both an ox and a donkey. The two primary reasons given are, one, Tsar Balechayim, namely, it's going to be more difficult for the donkey to keep up with the ox, which is much stronger. So the Torah was concerned about the feelings of the donkey. The ox is stronger, and therefore it's going to be hard for the donkey. Interestingly, aside from um, the idea of Tsar Balechayim, we're concerned, the Chinuch writes, lest if these two animals work together, they might come to mate, which would be a prohibition of that which we find in Parshas Kedoshim, the prohibition of mixing and breeding various uh, animals together. There is, interestingly, the Das Sekenim, Mibale Atosvos, and they suggest something fantastic. Namely, the ox is a kosher animal, and as such, it is malegeira. It chews its cud. And the donkey is not, and therefore does not chew its cud. They, if they were to work together, they eat together at the same time. The donkey finishes eating, and the ox is finished eating, but because it is Malegeira, chews its cud, the donkey is going to think that the ox was given more food, and that's going to be psychologically painful to the animal. Amazing. The Torah wants you to feel, and therefore learns the Sefer HaChinuch on this mitzvah, very interestingly, a very important practical lesson 
that when we have to have committees and people working together, don't intentionally put people who are unfit one with another. For example, okay, the shul wants to get new members. So we have a membership committee, a welcoming committee to visit new people that move to the community. Wonderful. So two people are going to go. One happens to be an extrovert and the other one an introvert. And what's going to happen? The extrovert begins, Shalom Aleichem, where are you from? Oh, you're from here. Do you know so-and-so and so-and-so? And what do you do? Can I help you, etc.? And for 15 minutes, there's a non-stop conversation. And then when finally that stops, the other one who's there, who has the bottle of wine with him, can't say very much more than, here, please feel welcome in the community, but he's going to feel most efficient. So therefore, be smart in advance. Try to understand and be sensitive to the feelings of the next one. Amazing. Now, this concept of refining character is taught very beautifully in the Gemara Bava Metziah. We find in Bava Metziah, Taf, Lamid Beis, Amid Beis, where the Gemara talks about the mitzvah of prika, which is unloading, and te'ina, which is loading, the prika comes first because there's the element of tsar balechayim, that it's painful to the animal if the load has shifted from its back. The Talmud asks, however, ohev lifrok, if I have two individuals that you come upon them at the same time, one you happen to love, he's a good friend of yours, and the other one, unfortunately, Sone, you don't like. And so he, the one you don't like, has to load his animal. There's no pain to the animal yet, because after all, nothing has been put on the animal's back. He just needs help in picking up the load. So instinctively, you're going to go to help the one you like for two reasons. Number one, the animal is in pain, and number two, you like the guy. And what does the Talmud say? No. Mitzvah besone. The mitzvah is to help the one you don't like, help him pick up the load. Why? In order to overcome your negative feelings, or simple English, to refine your character. And I want to close with a very powerful story. Loelenu writes Reb Michal Ber Weismandel Zechron Levracha in his Sefer Mina Meitzar, which are a collection of stories from the Shoah. And he writes that once when unfortunately there was a situation where they rounded up Jews from a city in Hungary and they were loading them on to the cattle car for transport Loelenu to the gas chamber and the non-Jews many of them were watching and unfortunately cheering and clapping and the Jews were being stuffed into the cattle car 
as soon as the train began to move, one of the Jews called out to someone that he recognized, and he said, please, do me a favor. Go to my house. I forgot to feed the chickens. Please go there and feed them. Now imagine, Loelenu, stop and look at this scene. I have a contrast between cheering individuals, Loelenu, and a Jew who knows where he's going, that even at such a time, the Rachamov al Kol Ma'asov, just as God's mercy is at all times on his creatures, the Jew, even at such a time, was not only thinking about himself and his plight, but thinking even of the animals at such a time. You hear such a story and you tell yourself how proud you are to be a Jew. Shabbat Shalom to all.
Our Elul Sofer blowing. Thanks so much to the listeners who reminded me that we didn't do it yet. <laughs> much appreciated. Uh, our Elul Sofer blowing generally after by Goldwasser Sunday through Thursday, but on Friday it's a wild card, and Baruch Hashem, we got it on before the end of the show. Uh, before that, Simcha Liner, Eishas Chayel, Kiesh done by Udi Davidi. Friday morning, it's JM in the AM. Good morning, everybody. Thanks for joining us and being part of this uh, amazing radio experience. It's much appreciated. This portion of NSN programming brought to you by our friends at A&H. You know Abel's and Hyman. You know how delicious their products are. You know how incredible they are. Um, right now, enjoy a 10% discount on all A&H products at kosherdogs.net with promo code radio. A&H has been serving the kosher world since 1954, and A&H products are available at Better Kosher Supermarkets Nationwide and A&H, and its leader, Seth Levitt. Wish everybody a happy, healthy, and sweet 5782. Yuntif is two weeks from Monday night. Yeah, two weeks from Monday night. I'll be at Aaron's Casino Farms later today. I want some delicious fruit and vegetables, great produce. I want some incredible fresh meat. I want some delicious mechis takeout. I want some incredible nuts and candy. I want some delicious baked goods, wonderful Aussie's fish. Um, that should cover it. <laughs> Those are some of the items that I really want. Over at Aaron's Casino Farms. Make sure to get there on an Arab Shabbos or anytime. 
to enjoy a perfect potato kugel and thousands of products that you will uh, that you'll be very happy with. That I can tell you. I know I'm very happy with them. Uh, and that's Aaron's Casino Farms in Queens, New York, and of course CasinoFarms.com online. Again, it's CasinoFarms.com. Check it out and enjoy. Well, uh, no secret that Dr. David Hershorn got me back into this song. It's Yehuda Glantz. It's JM in the AM.
JM in the AM with Yehuda Galanz. What a song. Friday morning, Erev Shabbos with candle lighting at 726. Make sure you know when things start where you are. Time for us to say good Shabbos with Journeys at JM in the AM.
Achenu Yisrael and Achimachem, our brothers and sisters in Israel, we are with you. It's your favorite America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners sponsored digital radio. Around the world, the web at NachumSingle.com and the NachumSingle Network, and of course, on the beloved NSN app. Wraps up an amazing Friday and an amazing week here at JM and the AM, and I thank you all for tuning in. Monday morning, we're back. Don't forget Matis on Sunday with JM Sunday starting at 7 a.m. Eastern Time. Saturday night, it's Saturday Night Seagull with Avrami and Rabbi Eliezer Zwickler. Mark Zamek has an amazing Erev Shabbos show coming up at 10 o'clock, one hour from now. An amazing Erev Shabbos show sponsored by the wonderful people at Kedem, plus our Erev Shabbos music mix all day long and our final hour brought to you by the wonderful people at Kedem. There is no need to touch that dial. Enjoy your Erev Shabbos with us at the Nahum Siegel Network. Have a wonderful Shabbos. Great weekend. Until next week, Nahum Siegel reminding you, remember to past, live the present, and trust the future.